Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. London Stock Exchange Group is here to be your essential global markets infrastructure and data partner, where open isn't just a platform, but a philosophy, giving you the freedom to make your mark in the world. LSEG. Open makes more possible. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's in Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch Soap Company, and by Fry the Coop. Here are your hosts, NBC Chicago's James Naveau and 670 The Scores hockey guy, Jay Zawoski. Let's drop the puck. Welcome in, friends, to this, our first actual off-season edition of the Mad Out of Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is James Naveau from NBC5 Chicago, and with me, of course, as always, is the one and only Jay Zawoski of 670 Score and the I'm Fat Podcast. Jay Zawoski, we don't have games to break down anymore, man. Slightly sad, but also slightly interesting because we get to look forward a little bit. I'm not talking to you today. Oh, yeah, this... Yeah, uh, there's some uh, domestic issues going on, I suppose, in the uh, in the world of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Uh, if you guys follow us on Twitter, you uh, kind of know that I made an impulse purchase a week and a half ago or so, and it ended up really upsetting Jay because I got not only a Carolina Hurricanes black third jersey, which, by the way, incredibly slick in person man does that jersey look good but the name and the number that i got on the jersey has unfortunately upset my podcast partner i did break down and get the tavo teravinen number 86 sweater for the carolina hurricanes so not only am i now no longer a quiet member of that tribe but now jay zawoski is angry at me because of the number that's on my back if anyone would like to talk to James, they can email him at madhousepod at gmail.com or on Twitter at madhousepod, facebook.com slash madhousehockeychi, and we're on Instagram at madhouse underscore pod. Because this is a two-man podcast, I will suspend my anger at you for what you've done to me personally in buying, buying the jersey of my special boy and rubbing my face in it on Twitter I'll get through. We'll do it. I hour. did not tag you in that post, by the way. Oh, you knew it was coming. Well, it's not my fault Rick Camp like snitched on me. Yeah. My two podcast partners in the world, Rick Camp from the I'm Fat Podcast, has to jump on James's tweet and hurt my feelings too. So he's on the pay no mind list too. Bunch of jerks. <laughs> Appropriate that you bought a Carolina Hurricanes jersey because you're both a bunch of jerks. Anywho, ah, good joke, Jay. We've got a lot of stuff to get to today. Uh, the Hawks have been meeting the media in a very slow, kind of a weird thing. Stan Bowman and Jeremy Cowton spoke. Uh, today it was Corey Crawford and Kirby Doc. Some more players talk tomorrow. It's going to be kind of a week-long thing. 
as I set these things up. But there, there is a little bit of news to get to. Uh, spoke to a source about Jeremy Calton's relationship with some of the key veterans on the team. We're going to get to that a little bit. And for the first time in a while, we're going to answer some listener emails. We haven't done that in a long time. So looking forward to getting to some of those as well. So James, I'll give the floor to you. Where would you like to begin this evening's festivities? Well, I think we should start at the top of the pyramid. I think we should go with the uh, discussion about the front office and the coaching staff, which after the season, I know we had kind of talked a little bit about whether or not we thought that Jeremy Colleton was going to end up being back as the coach of the Blackhawks. And now he's obviously gotten to do his postseason availability, all that stuff. So not really like looking. I don't know. It's hard to tell whether or not he's going to be back, but at least like that first hurdle has been cleared it's kind of interesting to see them kind of proceeding like well we're just going to kind of leave everything as is like it didn't really I wasn't necessarily like buying that that was going to be how they were going to go about it but I guess like a first round uh playoff appearance and exit was maybe good enough who knows well the 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 thing here is like it's sort of hard to judge because we don't know who the new president is and we don't know when that president is going to be named and you can assume that if you hire a new president, everything's going to be on the table for that president, right? As far as firing a coach, firing a GM, bringing in a whole new hockey operations staff, whatever he or she would like to do. So until that move is made, we're not going to really know. And I think you're right in reading it, that it it seemed like business as usual. Stan Bowman was talking as if he was going to keep his job. Jeremy Cowton was talking as if he was going to keep his job. And, And I suppose if they were going to be fired before a president was named, that would have happened already. They probably would have done it right away. Why have Bowman and Cowton talk to the media talking about next year if you if you have different plans in mind? So I don't know. It, it, this this weird next president thing just sort of hovers and lingers over everything. It's mm-hmm. it's just kind of hard to get a read for where they are as an organization, how they truly feel about those guys, and if a new president comes in, is it going to be? a truly empowered hockey operations person who could do whatever they want, right? Or is it going to be, oh, yeah, like you're the GM. Is it going to be like a Bulls, John Paxson, Gar Foreman situation where, oh, you know, like we tell you you're the GM, but you're not really, and everything sort of goes through. I don't know. And that's kind of the, I don't really know how to feel. But it seems like if we're just going by what we've heard over the last week, it seems like both Jeremy Cowton and Stan Bowman are staying just based on the way they were talking and the way they were looking ahead. Yeah, it sure seems that way. I think that uh, it's not exactly surprising, right? Because we kind of knew before the postseason even started that it really seemed like Rocky Wirtz was very invested in Stan Bowman sticking around as a member of this front office. I mean, there there's a reason that the news came out that Stan Bowman had likely signed a multi-year extension with the team and was going to be with the team for the future there's very little chance that the new president is going to come in and say, we need to make a complete overhaul in hockey ops. And that starts with getting rid of Stan Bowman. Like I don't see the Blackhawks making that kind of a financial commitment to get rid of Stan Bowman and then bringing in another GM. Like I get like they, it shouldn't stop them, but I think it's going to, especially in this like, you know, pandemic world, yeah. financial sacrifices have to be made, yada, yada. I highly doubt you re-sign a GM to a multi-year extension and fire him with those years left on. If this was like a thing where Stan Bowman was potentially going into the last season of a contract, maybe you could see them doing that. But I think that they've made it pretty clear with their language and their actions on that front that Stan Bowman's part of the deal for whatever president ends up coming in. And judging by that, you'd kind of be surprised if the person comes in and is immediately making like hockey ops type decisions. It really feels like there might still be a firewall between what the executive is going to do in terms of the business side of things. And then the hockey side of things, he might have some input. Obviously John McDonough clearly didn't worry about any type of firewall, but I don't, I don't see there being a thing where the new guy comes in and is telling Stan Bowman what to do. I just, I don't see it with the clearly empowerment that they've given him. And with Rocky Wirtz making it very clear, the team is not looking at a hockey retread for that position. Yeah, and I think it's important to, and I know this is frustrating news for a lot of people. I know there's a lot of people that want Bowman fired, and I think maybe a lot more people that want Jeremy Cowton fired, but the reality of the pandemic is they might not have time 
you know, if you're talking about resuming play, like what in December potentially would be the return to play. Do you have time to hire someone new, bring them in, have them evaluate and bring in a whole new staff? Like you've got to get stuff done pretty quickly here. The off season is going to be very, very short. So it may be in a normal world in a normal scenario, you could end your season, you know, first week of April, second week of April after a first round playoff loss, whatever, maybe into May, then you've got the entire playoffs to fire, reevaluate and an entire off season. That's not going to be a full off season this year. So everything's going to be really compressed. So it might be in their best interest to, even if they do bring in a hockey minded team president, which is like not likely, but it's a, certainly a possibility you might want to just have that evaluation period for that person. And yeah, it's going to cost you a year, but look, they won a playoff series. Um, you know, I don't know. I, it's, it's weird. And one thing I want to get to here is, you know, when Stan Bowman talked, he was talking a lot about guys buying in, right? Like buying into the system, uh, not trying to cheat to get points, not trying to cheat to help offensively. And he kept saying like their hearts are in the right place. They want to do the right thing but they're also abandoning their other responsibilities and coming and back checking. I don't know if that's a, I don't think he's saying that to the young guys, if that makes sense. I think what, what Stan Bowman is asking for is a total buy-in from his veterans to the middle guys like Calvin DeHaan and Oli Mata, if, if, if he's still here next year to the rookies, right. And, and the young players. Cause I think, that the young guys and the middle guys might be on board. The problem that Sam Bowman's having is the veteran player, or that Jeremy Cowan is having, rather, is the veteran players. And I spoke to a source, uh, one of my most trusted sources this week, and they actually did the digging for me because we had had a conversation right when the season ended where they sort of disagreed with my assessment that the players don't respect Jeremy Cowan. So that source went and sort of asked around, and, and, and here's what they found, that Patrick Kane likes Jeremy Cowan on board, kind of has been from the beginning. We've said that on this show before. Uh, Patrick Kane likes Jeremy Cowton, likes what he brings, likes the way he thinks about the game. And Patrick Kane, for those that don't know, is a huge numbers wonk. Like, he knows all about advanced metrics, all about possession numbers. He is an analyst and a player at the same time. Jonathan Taves, not as much on board with Jeremy Cowton as Patrick Kane, but I think a lot of us, and maybe pointing the thumb, over blue that moment after the Hawks were eliminated where he walked right past Cowton and sort of like turned his head. Uh, Taves doesn't love him, but doesn't hate him. Duncan Keith doesn't like the system and is kind of meh about Cowton in general. And Brent Seabrook absolutely hates him. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, so, that's, that's hardly surprising with some of the comments that Brent Seabrook made before the Blackhawks left to go to the bubble. Yes, and that was that's not a, and I think Duncan Keith too. If you listen to, and I, you know, I think Mark Lazarus said it on Twitter. Like people listening to podcasts, like it's dissecting the Zapruder film. You don't have to listen that hard to hear Duncan Keith's dislike for Jeremy Cowan. It's it's not hidden. So if you listen to those interviews, that it it verifies what my source had to say here. Here's the thing, though. Going back to what Bowman said, he's the coach, and as much as I would like the Hawks to move on from him. He's the guy, and part of this is like, remember, you're the employee. You're the player. We don't all love our bosses all the time, but we've got to do what our boss says to do. And when Stan Bowman's talking about a buy-in from the players, I think he's speaking directly to those leaders at the top saying, look, if you guys aren't going to follow what the coach says, and if you're going to roll your eyes, and if you're going to pout and whine about certain things you don't like, how can you expect any of these young players to respect this head coach. It's like I said on my Twitter thread right after the season ended, look, maybe Jeremy Cowan in a different situation is a fine coach, but he just doesn't have the respect of the guys here. Yeah. Maybe it's up to him to earn it. And he's done some things to certainly lose their trust, which we'll get to, but he's the coach and these guys have to do their best to at least put on a good face and be good teammates and be a good example to those younger players. Cause they're too damn important to the future of this franchise. Okay, so like there's a couple things obviously that we can say kind of going from here. One of them obviously being that you and I talk 
extensively on this podcast about the kind of human element, the mental element of hockey. And I think that this is a great example of that, where you're kind of having to deal with getting used to a new guy and kind of like feeling him out and kind of figuring out whether you like what he's doing, don't like what he's doing. Like, I feel like that process is obviously played out very publicly for the Blackhawks while Jeremy Colleton has been in power. So that's been interesting to look at it from kind of a human, kind of a mental perspective. I will also say that your point about Colleton being the coach and like the players have to give him at least some respect because of that position. And because of the fact, like, look at the hierarchy, look at the pecking order here, head coach clearly above you. Like he is your boss. Like it's just like any other job. Like I do also get that, but I also get that in the hockey world and in sports in general, players usually have a hell of a lot more power than Joe Schmo employee is going to have at a business. Like sure. I would think obviously that you can't really like say to Mitch Rosen or whoever's above Mitch at the score, Hey, I don't like this crap. You need to fix it. Like you don't have that kind of authority. Obviously I don't have that kind of authority at NBC hockey players though, do have that kind of a pull. And I think that, while I do understand Bowman to a point where I don't think some of the guys maybe gave Colleton a chance, like initially off the bat, like guys, I'm looking specifically, I think at Keith and Seabrook. I also think that they do have some say in how this kind of power structure is laid out and whether or not Colleton is the right fit for the job based on their seniority, based on their expertise and all those things. And I do have to say that if what some of like the perception is, if some of that is true, that Colleton has not done a good job of being communicative with the players and not done a good job of kind of earning their trust and earning their kind of respect by treating them appropriately, I'm obviously not going to tell these guys to shut up and fall in line. Like that, ultimately, that failure would rest on Jeremy Colleton because, I mean, we can argue – until the cows come home about what kind of an X's and O's coach Colleton is like they, you can literally go to any Blackhawks blog or Twitter account or whatever and get plenty of that. But at the end of the day, you're coaching 20 human beings and you have to do a good job of communicating with those guys, not only communicating what you expect from them on the ice, but just communicating with them in general. And I think there are a lot of valid reasons to question whether or not Jeremy Colleton has lived up to that part of the bargain just based mainly on the kind of pushback and the kind of bristling that we've seen guys like Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook do whenever this topic comes up. That's a really good point by you. And here's what's crazy about it. When you see articles written about Jeremy Colleton and certain people are asked about it, usually people, not players, right? Like Stan Bowman and other people, they talk about what a great communicator Jeremy Colleton is and how he, and people know where they stand and all those things. I think that just just based on a gut feeling, not based on anything I've been told or anything like that, but it seems like maybe what the guys don't like is what they're hearing. Maybe it's not so much that he's not saying, this is what I expect from you. Maybe he's saying, Brent Seabrook, you're not one of our seven best defensemen. And Brent Seabrook doesn't like that and doesn't want to hear that. Right? And I, I, I get that. Like What we love about Brent Seabrook is that he's a huge competitor and that he gives everything he's got every shift, even though he doesn't have as much left as he used to, you know, so to hear that after everything Brent Seabrook's accomplished is tough to hear. It doesn't mean yeah. he's not communicating. It means he's not communicating what the players want to hear that those are two different things. Sure. And that could, that could very well be the case. And obviously that then falls back on Brent Seabrook and Duncan Keith, because if that is indeed the situation where it's like, don't kill the messenger just because you don't like the message, right? right? Mm -hmm. Like if he's like being open and honest with you, as long as he's not saying, oh yeah, Brent, you're a super big, important part of the team, blah, blah, blah. And then turning around and scratching you and not playing you and not using you in the way that you think you should be used. That's obviously different. But if he's saying, look, you right now with your health, with your skill set, with your everything are not one of the top six guys on this defensive core, that's obviously completely different, but for whatever reason, and obviously we're probably never going to know this unless Brent like kind of comes out and says this at the end of his career or whatever. That's just, I get, I guess it's not the vibe that I've gotten from this situation. I feel like it's been a lot more of Colleton trying to kind of tiptoe around and to please everybody instead of giving them the hard truths that they need to hear. 
Interesting. Yeah, I think that's our best chance of finding out is if Brent Seabrook moves on. And he did say some things like, I think I can play hockey still. I just don't know if it will be here. Something to those effects after being left uh, out of the Edmonton bubble. Uh, that seems to me, to me to indicate that he's willing to go play somewhere else or at least consider it. Now, does anybody want him? I don't know. Maybe you have to look at giving up a prospect to move him, and God forbid they do that because they don't have that many prospects. Um, but we'll see what's going to happen uh, with him and with everything. But I think that's our best chance is, is a player saying something once they're gone. But I do think if I'm a betting man right now, and James, I'm going to ask you the same question, whatever the opening game is of the 2020-21 season, is Jeremy Calton the head coach, is Stan Bowman the GM? I'm betting yes on both of those. Yeah, I think that during the kind of the lull that we had during coronavirus, I think that I was still fairly convinced that Colleton was not going to be back next season. And it really didn't matter what the Blackhawks did during the postseason while in the bubble. But just after kind of hearing the way that everybody has been talking during this offseason, including Rocky Wirtz, Stan Bowman, everybody, it sure as heck sounds like their plan right now is to just continue ahead with the structure that they have in place. And I'm sure they could still potentially make some changes maybe in the assistant coaches, whatever kind of thing you can think of with like those kind of changes in the lower tier of the coaching staff. But just as of right now, like I'm not saying this is what I want by any stretch, but I'm inclined to agree with you, Jay, that it really does seem like Colleton is going to be sticking around. And I'm not sure how I feel about that because you do have guys out there that could potentially be good coaching options if the Blackhawks decided to make a change. Yeah, that, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, Gerard Gallant's out there. And as long as that guy's out there, it's like, well, you should probably. Do you least... really think you can do? You can't do better than Colleton with that guy sitting on the. I guarantee. You know who would love that? I bet Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook would love if Gallant was here. I think that would be one of those like instant respect kind of moves. I think if they brought him in. Well, Peter Laviolette's out there. There, there's some big names out there. And look, I'm not saying that Peter Laviolette's the next coming of Joel Quenville. We've seen him get hired and fired over and over and over again. But it's a guy who I think can can garner some respect from the veteran players. But look, at some point, though, you know, this is going to be the third, you know, part of the third season when Jeremy Cowton begins. If Stan Bowman, like you were saying, like, you know, players have more power than your average employee, that's true. But even with the feelings towards Cowton with those guys, he's still the coach. Bowman hasn't fired him. So I think they're just going to have to get used to it and they're going to just have to deal with it. And do you who, think that I'm sorry, Jay, no, I, thought go ahead. You were, I was going to ask you, do you think that if Stan Bowman makes the decision to keep Jeremy Colleton, do you think that Colleton's success or failure ends up sinking or lifting Stan Bowman's future with the team? Do you think that that takes away his opportunity like he would not be able to make another coaching hire? I wouldn't let him make another. Here's the thing. If you fire Joel Quenville, right, even though. Looking at the way the team was playing, it could certainly be justified, right? You can't fire that guy. Then hire the guy you did, and Jeremy Cowton, who's, what, 36 years old, zero NHL experience, barely AHL experience. You can't replace a legend with that guy and then be like, well, that was a mistake. Let me try again. No, no, no. If he had gone, like, from Quenville to whoever, another veteran guy, then maybe you give him some lenient, some lenience and say, okay, now bring in your 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 golden boy. But he brought the golden boy in right away, and it hasn't right. worked so far. Now, look, if next year begins and Jeremy Cowton's system is in place and they've got a, a healthy roster and Boquist and Doc have taken steps forward and they look like a better team and they make the playoffs and they make some noise, then maybe that, that buys Stan Bowman more time. But if Jeremy Cowton's a failure – I don't see how you let Stan Bowman hire another coach. I don't think you can do that. I think you've given him this long, right? He signed what we believe to be a three-year deal last summer. So there'd be mm -hmm. next year and a year after on that contract. If next year is a disaster, I think you have to move on. And not even a disaster. If they don't make the playoffs next year, you've got to move on from Bowman, I think. And, and, and Colleton. You can't – I don't think you can have them both back, especially considering – by then, you should have a new president in place. 
You would hope, right? <laughs> you would hope so. Oh man, if they if they don't, ooh. yeah, that's it. That's an interesting uh, way of looking at it. If they don't make the playoffs next season, but you're also just another year into guys like Keith and Kane and Taves. Like you're just another year into their careers next year if you decide that this thing's not working out. Well, you but you also have DeBrinkit. If Strom is back, th- those two guys are entering their primes. Uh, Dominic Kublik, who we hope is back, should be entering his prime. You've got Kirby Doc, another year older, with more training under his belt. He said today how he's going to work on improving his strength while maintaining his speed. He's working with Patrick Kane's trainer, which is probably a really good idea. Very uh, smart. And who knows what what happens with Adam Bokus over the summer and Ian Mitchell. Like, there's a lot of young players on the horizon that can sort of keep that window open. You do need one or two of these guys to be breakout absolute stars. And the other guy who I think is a wild card is Pia Suter. If Pia Suter can come in and give you anything close to what Kubalik did, eh, now you're starting to talk a little bit. Now you're starting to talk a little bit. Okay, so now we're now we're getting into roster construction and players. So I think this is going to be a really good time to kind of broach, honestly, one of the other kind of elephants in the room right now. If you're the Blackhawks and you have Stan Bowman and Jeremy Colleton, that to me kind of indicates that if you're going status quo – you're still proceeding as though the window is open, which to me equals you not trading away a key member of your roster, like a Kane, a Taves, a Keith, or a DeBrincat. Am I wrong to feel that way? I don't think so. First, let's we're we're almost a half hour into this, so I, let me mention our friends at Triple Threat Sports. You want to get a Tavo Teravinen jersey to torture me with? Oh, head over to TripleThreatSports.com, place your order. You'll get an authentically lettered. Carolina Hurricanes jersey from Chris at Triple Threat Sports. Send him an email, Chris at TripleThreatSports.com. Triple Threat Sports, if you can wear it, they can make it. And, of course, our longtime partners at Marishka's and Crest Hill, 604 Theodore Street, family-owned and operated since 1933. This is the week, James. I'm going out there. I've got to get out that way. Anyway, I've got an errand to run out west. I'm heading that way, going to Marishka's this week, and I am going to eat a poor boy in my car with a big garlic buttery smile on my face it's going to be glorious but the twice baked potato the onion rings the steaks the chops the seafood everything at marishka's is delicious hit them up marishka's.com or facebook.com slash marishka's again 604 theodore street in crest hill um yeah so a couple people emailed us about this and i really don't see any major core member of this team getting traded i don't see keith getting traded Taves, Kane, no. I think those three, absolutely not. I think Seabrook, like we discussed earlier, would would consider it if it's a good opportunity, if he knows he's going to play where he's traded, which is a big if. Uh, plus, there's not a ton of teams that can take on that kind of salary, so that's a factor, too. The Hawks would have to eat some of it, but I'm sure they'd be willing to if it doesn't cost them too much prospect-wise. Debrinkit, I don't think you're trading. If you, it, Now, Dylan Strom's rights, that's something maybe – Right. I think that that's probably the highest profile, realistic sort of trade that we'd be talking about. I I think moving out from DeBrinkett at this point would be a huge mistake, especially considering how low his value would be. I think that's like the one thing that people probably need to keep in mind. Like, yeah, he's had two really good seasons, but it's not like he lit the world on fire in year three. Now, that's not to say he can't get back to where he was, but I also know how teams operate and they go. That guy just got his paper. He needs to prove to me that he's worth $6.4 million a season. That's a good point. And, and I do think that the struggles he had this season and early in the playoffs, I think he started figuring out that it's not going to come so easily for him anymore. Now that he's paid, now that he's had you know, his rookie and sophomore seasons really good, he's not a guy who flies under the radar anymore. He's a guy that other teams prepare for. And that sort of started this year, and he really struggled. Now, can he take that next step up and be a dominant player down the road? I think so, because what I saw from him late in the playoffs this year was a different dude. He was initiating physicality. He was going to the rough spots. He figured out what it was going to take for him to be successful, and he became a much more impact player as the playoffs went on. Hopefully, message received for Alex to bring it, and when the puck drops on next season, whenever that is, He's going to play with that level of intensity all the time because, again, he's a marked man. He's one of their biggest offensive threats, and other teams know that now and are planning to defend him, and he's going to have to adapt to that. 
I think you pretty much took the words out of my mouth with Debrin Kid. I just I think that so often when we talk about like key guys on the Blackhawks potentially getting traded, I feel like we do have to include Debrin Kid in that conversation now based on his contract status and all those other factors that you mentioned. But I do agree with everything you said that I just think that at this point, based on like where he is in his career development right now, he does need to step up going into next season. But I also do not see the Blackhawks trading him because I don't think you would get enough of a trade value for him to justify it. And I get it. You have to make some really excuse me, tough salary cap decisions this offseason. But I think that that's just an area where I don't see them. I don't see them making that particular move. And I also don't, I don't see this being the year that they pull the trigger on Kander Taves. And I still think that Keith and Seabrook are basically untradeable because of their contracts. I don't see teams lining up, especially to take on a guy like Seabrook. Yeah. And you sort of said it with the Brinkett. If you trade him, you're not getting a player of his caliber back. Like, he scored 40 goals his second year, close to 40 his first year. I think we all have to be cautious of overreacting to a bad year, right? Like, we, we cannot base our – before this year started, everybody loved Alex Dabrinkit. We were talking about him as a potential 50-goal guy with no hesitation, no sarcasm. It wasn't tongue-in-cheek. It was legit. That was a legit thought for Alex Dabrinkit. Yes, he had a down year this year. No doubt about it. But to give up on him now, to trade him now, would be a huge mistake. I really think so. And I don't know what you would get back, who you're going to trade him for, that's going to come in and make your team better if you move him out. It would be a strictly cap relief move, I think. I think it would be very much like the Andrew Shaw trade a few years back where I think they got like two like middle-round draft picks for him. Like, that, to me, seems like the kind of move that it would be. Well, if you're potentially going to lose Dylan Strom because you can't afford to pay him and you lose Alex to Brinkett, well, I guess you'd bring one of them. You'd, you'd have the ability to sign Strom if you moved him, but still, I, it just sets the team back, right? Like, we can't trade every player after they have a tough year. That's that's yeah. a mistake. That's that, that's not how you build a team. And your, your, your biggest ticket way out of this – you know, hockey middle ground where the Hawks live right now, hockey purgatory is through guys like DeBrinket, is through guys like Doc. You can't get rid of them if they have a tough year. That's a mistake. You've got yeah. to, these guys, it's a learning curve. There's ups and downs in everybody's career. I think one thing that, that Hawks fans have sort of lost sight of is it's not typical for guys to come in and be great right away. We saw it with Kane. We saw it with Taves. Even guys like Andrew Shaw like came up and had success right away. Yeah, they weren't you know all-star, superstar type players, but that's not normal. It takes guys time to develop. There's peaks and valleys in development. It's not linear. Development is not linear. It was with Kane and Taves because they were that good. They're generational, first ballot Hall of Fame type players. But your average prospect takes some time to develop. There's going to be good and bad years that you have to deal with before they hit their stride, before they figure it totally out. Alex DeBrinkit, Kirby Doc, Adam Boquist are developing appropriately. I know it's tough. I know it's kind of hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel, especially with Boquist, but I'm telling you, it's there, and they're developing the way that Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook did before people started watching the Hawks again. Keith and Seabrook (laughs) had some really tough years as Blackhawks defensemen as they figured things out, but once they did... And it happened right on time with those two, Kane and Taves arriving. Those two guys hit their primes, and the Hawks were off and rolling. But that's Kane and Taves' development is not typical. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you on that front. I think that we've seen very conclusively that there are flashes to guys like Adam Boquist in terms of their games. And it's just, it was obviously a real bummer to see him struggle so much in the uh, series against Vegas. But again, Totally a learning experience for him, man. It was definitely one of those things that I think it's going to benefit him in the long run, and you just have to hope that he's going to learn from it. And obviously, it's a real gut check for him, too, because, I mean, you have two choices in a situation like this. You either work on 
what ended up like costing you dearly in that series or you don't and you basically just flame out as a prospect and obviously the Blackhawks have to really hope that it's column A and not column B because you're really going to end up uh, seeing a lot of what Adam Boquist is made of going into next season. Well, that's the truth. And I know there's a lot of Hawks fans concerned. We're going to address that in the email segment, what we do when we do in a little bit here. But um, there's a lot of people worried about Boquist, and I, I'm, I'm not going to try to talk everybody off the ledge, but there is some real concern with Hawks fans. A couple other little news items today. Uh, Corey Crawford met the media and said that his he's leaning on returning to Chicago he said he would. He's not totally clear on the Hawks' cap situation, but a, a hometown discount is not out of the question. One thing he reiterated was that he wants to be the guy. He wants to be the starter, and I think if that is his main priority, the place Corey Crawford needs to sign is Chicago, because I don't think another team is going to bring him in and be like, "You're 36. You're 37 years old. You're our guy. You're our horse. Get us to the playoffs." I think the Hawks need that from him out of necessity. But then Corey Crawford goes, but who knows? Maybe I'd look for a three- or four-year deal somewhere. Yeah, I don't think anybody's given that to him. I don't think so either, unless it's a super low rate. If he's signing for like – if the Hawks sign him for three years for $2 million a year, you might take that third year and just sort of deal with it because of the discount. But I don't think he's going to give them a discount anywhere close to that. I mean, we always say, like, guys should not be – expected to give hometown discounts to teams like go get your money while you can make it yep but what a bad stroke of luck really for Corey Crawford being a free agent in this particular offseason when COVID is still wreaking havoc on the economy of the sport because I don't think that teams are going to be lining up to give a three or a four-year contract to a 36-year-old goaltender do you well not just the fact that he's 36 but that he's got a huge concussion history there's also some question about uh, his off the ice stuff a little bit that was when he was younger and it seems to have gotten better lately but everyone's heard those rumors too and that includes people around the league so um, yeah I don't think he's going to find anyone outside of Chicago saying yeah here's three or four years for you at your age with your injury history it's just a bad investment in a hard cap league where you can't really get out from under bad contracts in any way that's a huge risk for another team to take on big question then if you're Say the Blackhawks decide to move on from Corey Crawford. Are there any unrestricted free agents? I know we've kind of done this before, but I feel like at this time of year, it's probably a good time to do it again. Are there any goaltenders that kind of stand out to you as a guy that you would potentially be interested in the Blackhawks pursuing? Robin Leonard. You really think so? It's not going to happen, but I'd be interested in it. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you be? He's only 29 years old. Like, he obviously has experience with this team. You saw what he did against them in the playoffs. Like, those are all very interesting things. I'm just, I'm wondering if, I'm wondering if the Blackhawks are going to want to go down that road again after trading him away. Like, was that kind of an indication that they weren't really interested in keeping him around for the long term? Or were they just trying to get another asset? I guess. I don't know. No, they're not going to be able to keep him. There's no way. So here's here's the list, okay? Brayden Holpe, Robin Leonard, no chance. They're not going to be able to afford either of those guys. No way. Jimmy Howard, pass. Craig Anderson, pass. Matt Murray in Pittsburgh, coming off a $3.75 million deal. Um, I But I feel like he's going to be more expensive than Crawford, and he's going to want more. Well, and you're also going to have to trade for him, right? Uh, he's oh you're right he is restricted I'm sorry yep my list my list here has both let me let me update my list here to I believe Matt Murray is a restricted free agent correct he is a restricted free agent my bad I thought that's the list I had so yeah so Holtby Leonard Howard Craig Anderson Jacob Markstrom I like Markstrom a little bit I wouldn't be opposed to that I think that's an interesting name depending on where the financials end up getting with him Thomas Grice from the Islanders uh, Cam Talbot no uh, Anton Anton Hudobin Michael Condon Brian Look at Elliott, Hudobin like raking in the money potentially with his performance so far in this postseason for Dallas other than that though you're getting into some garbage territory the big name down the list is Ryan Miller but that guy's a thousand years old I don't know if you want him anymore do you want to trade Patrick Kane for him, potentially? Oh, God, stop yourself. 
I, I hope Blackhawks fans uh, like remember <laughs> how how that went nine freaking years ago when that or was it like eight or nine years ago when that was actually a thing? Yeah, because mm-hmm. <laughs> oh the God. only place you could possibly if you had to trade Patrick Kane, he'll only go to Buffalo. That's the other perception that. Well, he's from there, so you well, and Corey Crawford will only go to Montreal. So right, you can only be traded to your hometown. That's the way it works in sports. Everybody knows that. Um, it's just looking at this list, though, James. The logic to just re-sign Corey Crawford is it's just slapping you right in the face there. You know, the guys that are clearly better than him are out of your price range. uh, And the guys who, you know, are younger and comparable are going to cost a lot, too. So it's I don't know. I think it just makes sense to see if you can get him to sign for three, three and a half for a year or two and hope that if a decline happens, you've got, you know, either uh, Calendelia or Kevin Lankin and ready to step in. Because I think one of those guys is your backup next year. I don't think Malcolm Subban is going to be back. I got two other free agent names that you did not mention, and I cannot believe you did not mention. Okay, go ahead. Mike Smith? No. Why? To do what? There's a, I saw his name on there. There's a reason I didn't mention it. How dare you, sir? Why? And then the other one, Anton Forsberg. Oh, stop it. <laughs> You're ridiculous. I, I think the most likely scenario that I can see playing out is the Blackhawks maybe try to bring Corey Crawford back, like you said, on a pretty cheap deal. If you can get him for like two, two and a half, maybe even three million, I would be very intrigued if the Blackhawks could potentially swing a trade for Matt Murray and have Crawford and Murray be the goaltending tandem. Yeah, he doesn't want to tandem, though. I, I don't think that's going to happen. Like, I don't think that the Blackhawks are looking that direction. I think a lot more likely scenario would be to go out and trade for a guy like Matt Murray and then have Colin Delia or Kevin Lankin and be your backup. I think that that, to me, seems a lot more likely. If they end up keeping Corey Crawford, I do think it'll be like the Crawford-Delia show. I don't see them going out and getting another veteran to pair with them. No, they don't have, they don't have that luxury to do that. Yeah, that's I, I really think it's going to be Crawford and Delia. I think that's your tandem next year. They're going to figure it out. Um, real quick thing before we get to the emails. Uh, boy, it's been a busy show. Um, the Maple Leafs pull off a huge trade with the Penguins today. Big news is Kasperi Kapanen is headed to uh, Pittsburgh. I think there were six players in a deal. Pittsburgh gave up a first-round pick uh, to get uh, Kapanen back. Pierre Lebrun in his recap piece of the trade, said the Leafs asked the Blackhawks about their 17th overall pick, and the Hawks weren't interested. Uh, I think I agree with the Blackhawks here that I wouldn't give up the 17th overall pick for Kasperi Kapanen. Nice player, good player, could break out, you know, given an opportunity, maybe getting out of Toronto a little bit could be helpful for him. But look, draft picks are incredibly valuable. I think it's one thing Stan Bowman has been pretty good at is drafting players, uh, I'm not giving up a first rounder for Kasperi Kapanen. I'm just not. I mean, maybe a maybe a second rounder and a pretty good prospect in, in a log jam sort of position. But I'm you've not got giving up so 17. many needs right now, dude. Like yeah. I, I just don't think you can be giving up a first round draft pick to go out and get a guy like him. And by the way, the Phil Kessel trade tree apparently just uh, somehow the branch grew back into the trunk. It was very weird on this trade so man what a what a fun day this was for you know hockey fans getting to hear toronto media dissecting the hell out of this trade well it's always fun to see transactions and i think i was a little surprised like oh yeah i guess they can start doing that now right like trades can start happening and who knows i you know i think this is going to be a busy offseason for the hawks it may not be the sexiest thing in the world i think you might see some buyouts and some contract extensions but as far as new faces I don't know. It didn't sound like Stan Bowman had much, you know, he was sort of talking like, eh, you know, we're sort of limited in what we can do. But he always talks like that. That's true. I don't know. I, I wouldn't mind seeing a couple new faces here. Um, but, hey, I, I think priority is you get Kubalik signed, you get Crawford signed, find a way to get Dylan Strom, you know, into the fold here and uh, and just go from there and hope that your young guys develop because that's what's going to take for these guys to be break. All right. To be great. Are you ready to do some emails here, my friend? Born ready, buddy. All right, we'll be right back with your emails here on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. 
hot flashes, irritability, intimate dryness, even unsatisfying sex. Hi, I'm Dr. Alyssa Dweck, a board-certified OBGYN who has spent over 20 years helping women just like you safely find relief from these very natural symptoms without having to resort to hormones. To help my patients feel their best, I recommend products from Bonafide Health. Bonafide is a women's health company dedicated to providing women with non-hormonal and clinically validated products that work. Bonafide provides safe and effective solutions to manage a range of menopausal, sexual health, and PMS-related symptoms. That's why I recommend Bonafide products to my patients every day. In fact, I am also a Bonafide medical advisor. What I like most is that Bonafide products provide women real relief without compromise. Ladies, don't waste another minute feeling less than your best. Go to HelloBonafide.com and use code RADIO39 to save 20%. That's HelloBonafide.com and code RADIO39. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Offer valid on subscription only. Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal, a safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber, signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal. Email the guys at madhousepod at gmail.com or follow them on Twitter at madhousepod. The email segment is brought to you by our friends at Dr. Squatch Natural Soap Company, made in the USA, handmade in the USA. Go get yourself some Dr. Squatch. Go to drsquatch.com, take that Squatch quiz, enter the promo code MADHOUSE to save 20% on your order and more importantly for us anyway, help support the podcast. What is Dr. Squatch? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, I just told you they're a natural, handmade-in-the-USA soap company, all natural. I had bad, bad skin problems, needed a solution. I found Dr. Squatch online and ordered and immediately fell in love with the product, reached out to the people at Dr. Squatch to partner up with my podcasts, and they did, and it's been hugely successful for us. So thank you to everybody who's jumped on and joined Squatch Nation Not only do they have soap, they've got the hair care kit, which is phenomenal. They just came out with their own line of natural toothpaste for morning and night. Just got that a couple days ago and love it. Love the way the, my, you know, my, my breath is during the day. I don't feel like I need a piece of gum at 11 a.m. It's got the staying power that my typical toothpaste did not. So go to drsquatch.com on the right side of the page there on top. You're going to see the Squatch quiz. Take that quiz. It'll help you find the right soap for you. And then when you check out, use that code MADHOUSE. Little pro tip here, you're investing in premium soap. Get yourself the soap saver. It will make your soap last much longer than it would if you just put it on the sill of your mm-hmm. shower there so the water runs off. You want that soap saver. Yep, it's a, you're investing in premium soap. Protect your investment with that soap saver. DrSquatch.com, promo code MADHOUSE. All right, we've got a couple emails here. Some tried a little bit on where we were, but uh, I want to get into some things a little bit deeper. This is from Blackhawks Bob, who I've interacted with a lot on Twitter. I know you have too. And one of his things is, uh, well, I'll I'll let his email do the speaking. He says, you guys have been critical of Jeremy Cowton for not having the respect of the vets in the room. We agree on that. But inexplicably, you guys criticized scratching Boquist in game two. Uh, I would argue that was clearly the Hawks' best game of the series, and you defend Jeremy's decision to dress him in Elimination Game 5. The question is, can you can you imagine watching this play out from the perspective of Keith or Taves, who know this is possibly their last playoff run? They watch Boquist play a terrible Game 4 that your goalie miraculously bails you out on. In that Game 4, he takes a bad penalty, looks lost in the power play, and can barely be used at 5-on-5. Five five. He obviously didn't put in the work over the break, uh, I see what you're saying here, Bob, and he, he sort of goes on. I think that there's certain guys who I guess you'd say are, there's sort of different rules for them, right? And Adam Boquist is a hugely important piece to this team's future. And if they decide that what we saw from Adam Boquist in the playoffs is not the player we thought he was and we have to move him, right, or – Here's how we can develop. Now we know what he needs to work on. Now he sees what he needs to work on. It's a learning experience. And before any of this stuff happened, that's what Stan Bowman said. This is a learning experience for our young players. Look, Keith and Keith and Taves and those guys know 
that this was not a Stanley Cup team. These guys aren't dumb. They've seen Stanley Cup teams. They've bet on three of them. They could have bet on four of them if not for Nick Letty's ass, <laughs> right? Like, they know what a yeah. Stanley Cup team looks like. You have to develop these young players. Doc's development and Boquist's development, to me, were the biggest parts and the biggest benefits of this playoff series. I think, look, it's one thing for, you know, players to say, well, we had a chance to win and you played this player who wasn't as good as who? Nick Sealer? Bingo. You know, L- Lucas Carlson? Like, don't don't tell me Lucas Carlson was going to come in there, play six or seven minutes, and be the difference between a win and a loss. It's just, that, that's nonsensical. If there was a clearly better option, like if Ian Mitchell was eligible but sitting out, then we'd have a talk. But I'm not sitting your second most important prospect because he's struggling and t- to play a guy who's going to come out and play minimal minutes and make minimal impact. I was I was a little bit surprised at the fact that Nick Sealer didn't get any run, considering that the Blackhawks do have him for another season. I would have thought they maybe would have wanted to give him a look in the series, not necessarily that he would have made like any type of a difference or anything like that, but... I feel like that's really well said. I feel like it's one thing if you have a guy like Ian Mitchell that could potentially make a huge series-making impact, potentially, if you replaced Adam Boquist. But the reality of the matter is that the Blackhawks did not have that guy, and Jeremy Colleton was not willing to play that guy, even if they had him, right? Because you didn't see him go to a guy like Philip Kirishev in this series. You didn't see him making those types of decisions. He played this very cautiously, and it was very it was it was important to get Boquist out there because I do feel like he's one of your best defensemen and everybody can keep saying all they want. Oh, Lucas Carlson should have been in. But when he was in, it's not like Lucas Carlson made that much of an impact. And frankly, he had several negative plays when he was in the lineup. Let's not forget that. It's not like Carlson played a serviceable defensive game in the game that he was in for the Blackhawks. The reality of the matter is he didn't. And. I get it. Like, you want to try to, like, pin this on, you know, whatever factors. The fact of the matter remains, the Blackhawks are just not a very good defensive team. They don't have depth at that position. And in all likelihood, even with all of his struggles, there's still a very real argument to be made that that Adam Boquist was one of the top six defensemen on the Blackhawks that they could have suited up for these playoffs. One thing, too, I want to criticize, uh, clarify I'm not critical of Calton for not having the respect of the veterans. That I mean, that we're stating that, that. it's not the, like it's it's the reality. It, it's not it's nothing he can do about that, right? It's I don't that's not a, that's not one of my reasons for being critical of Calton is not having the respect. It's one of the reasons I think that maybe it doesn't work. Like I said, I don't know I don't know if Jeremy Calton's a bad coach or not, because when your most important players aren't on board and not committed, if you listen to what Stan Bowen's saying, reading between the lines. It's hard to make a determination on his system. You know, you've seen young guys take steps up. You know, Doc took a big step up. I think, you know, uh, DeBrinkett had a down year, but had a really good year last year. Dylan Strom came here and was a contributor under Jeremy Cowton. So it's, to me, after all this time with Jeremy Cowton, I still don't have a great feel for him. I just don't know how, with the relationship you have with these veteran players, how it's going to work. They're not going to suddenly change their mind and be like, well, you know, we should just suck it up and be happy. I just don't know if that change is coming. I hope it does. And I hope, look, if Jeremy Collin turns out to be a great head coach, I would love that. That'd be outstanding. I'm, I'm, I'm down for that. I don't I don't care. I, like, I have no rooting interest in Peter Laviolette. Or, <laughs> like, I couldn't care less about any of those guys. I want the Hawks to hire the best guy they can. That's all I care about. Bring in the guy who's going to help them win another Stanley Cup. I think we should get to another question, Jay. I feel like we've like, we've answered this one pretty well. Yeah. Uh, Bob does have another question, by the way, uh, real quick about McDonough. He says, can you shed any light on what the Wirtz family's plan for the organization is? Uh, it goes on talking about firing McDonough at a weird time. I don't know what the plan is. And no one really seems to know except Rocky and Danny. And I think we're all going to find out when a press release is sent. I think that's when we're going to get our answer. Because Rocky Wirtz was on the score. Uh, last week and didn't really say much aside from the new president won't be a hockey retread, which tells me he has someone specific in mind and maybe waiting to announce something. Um, but that's all I know. So, and no one in the organization really knows everyone's sort of on pins and needles waiting to see what's going to happen. All right. Email here from Michael. He says, we all know Seabrook's contract is virtually unmovable, 
But what about Duncan Keith? He's 37 and makes $5.54 million a year for the next three years. If he doesn't like it and disrespects Cowlton as much as it appears he does, maybe he'd be willing to waive his no-movement clause. It sounds like Cowlton's staying. In my opinion, Keith didn't play extremely well in Edmonton. He was on the ice for the majority of the goals against. Maybe his name still holds some sway with other GMs. Um, I don't know. I Maybe? The, the, the cap hit's not a ton to swallow, right? The $5.54 million at this point is not a ton. Is a team that feels like they are one really good experienced defenseman away from a Stanley Cup willing to take that shot on Duncan Keith, maybe even eating half of his contract? Maybe. I think if we're talking Taves, Kane, or Keith, who's the most likely to go? Probably Keith, for the reasons that you laid out, Michael, that his you know, lack of enjoyment of playing under Jeremy Cowlton and the fact that his contract is reasonable. But I don't know. I think all three of those guys are going to retire Hawks if I'm a betting man. I'm inclined to agree with you. I think that we're probably getting to a point now where it's going to be really hard to move any of them anyway. And finding a situation that they're going to feel comfortable moving into is just becoming less and less likely by the year. I feel like if you were going to make some of these moves, I think they probably should have happened already. All right, another Michael says, I don't see any realistic scenario where Kane, Taves, or Keith would waive their no-movement clause. I find it silly that people keep bringing that up as a plausible option. They're treated like gods by the fans and the franchise. They've already won cups, no need to chase one. They have significant others and family that probably don't want to leave Chicago. On top of that, you need to find a team attractive to them, probably a playoff team, that has cap space with the current flat cap and assets to trade back that would make it worthwhile for the Hawks to do. Chances are you're going to lose the trade when you send away the most talented players for prospects and picks. They're still the best players on the team. Hawks are already rebuilding on the fly and have the youngest team in the playoffs. Good points, Michael. For sure. It's hard to disagree with any of that. Yeah, certainly not. I think that uh, obviously this team does have some uh, things to build on, certainly from that playoff experience. I think that we all kind of – I don't know if you would agree with me on this, Jay, but we definitely looked – I think I looked at this as kind of a – a found money type of situation where it's like, well, you might as well take advantage of the experience of being there. And I thought the Blackhawks did a really good job of kind of taking the series to Edmonton. And I mean, I know for all the stuff that we've said about the Blackhawks, uh, you know, kind of struggling against Vegas, the reality is, is they kept a lot of those games close. And I think that that is something that you can build on. And obviously we can talk about kind of tearing this thing down. And I think that ultimately would be, kind of an ideal, but I think the challenges that they would face in doing that, it'd be kind of rough to do. And so I'm going to probably, I guess, focus on those positives. I guess that's like the main, that's the main thing we can do to kind of, I don't know, keep ourselves sane. Yeah. I think that's the best way to do it. When you look at what the Golden Knights are doing in the playoffs, they beat Vancouver five, nothing in game one. Uh, They are playing right now. They're down one, nothing halfway through the first period. Um, You know, and look at what's happening to Colorado. Colorado's they're down two nothing to Dallas in the series. Everybody was talking about how it was just going to be this like cakewalk to get a Colorado Vegas series, and Dallas is having none of that right now. I still think it's going to happen. I still think it'll happen too. Like I'm not, and I'm not saying like, oh well, you know, Dallas is all flash in the pan, blah blah. Dallas is a solid team. There was a reason they were one of the top four teams in the Western Conference. Like I'm not. I'm not a fool. Like, I can see, like, why they were so good. It's just going to be really interesting to see how Colorado kind of responds to this because they've really gotten punched in the mouth the first two games of the series, and they really haven't been able to respond with anything. Game three is going to be so huge. If they don't come out with a really good start in game three, Dallas could just sweep them. Like, I just, I'm very fascinated to see what ends up happening with that. Yep, me too. It's uh, been a very enjoyable playoff so far with a lot of surprises. So that's what you hope for in Stanley Cup season, and you get it. But you know where you will not get surprises, James? Fry the Coop. You go to Fry the Coop, you know you're going to have an awesome hot chicken experience. You know it's going to be the best you've ever had. Whichever location you go to, you're going to have a great experience. Oak Lawn, Elmhurst, West Town, Well Street Market. Head to frythecoop.com. Check out their menu of the tenders, the chicken sandwiches, the coleslaw on the side, the varieties of fries. They've got beer there to sell you when you're when you dine in. They've got uh, 
Takeout windows so you can keep the contact as little as you want. Fry the Coop is absolutely killing it during the pandemic because A, they offer a great product and B, they're keeping your customers safe. Go to frythecoop.com, find the location closest to you and enjoy. It's time. You've got to do it. You're missing out. As soon as you try Fry the Coop, you're going to be like, damn it, I should have done that a long time ago. Frythecoop.com. Check it out. Tell them the Madhouse podcast sent you. And with that, we're going to wrap things up. That was a longer podcast than I expected, but I guess we had a lot of stuff to get to. Uh, James and I will be back as news breaks and news warrants. Of course, we're going to keep our weekly uh, podcast coming as well throughout the offseason. But look, the Hawks are talking this week, and chances are some news will be made. So uh, you'll hear from James and I more often than not throughout the early part of this offseason. So for my partner, James Nemo, my name is Jay Zawoski. Thanks so much for listening to this. I'll fix that to this episode of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's and Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch, and by Fry the Coop. We haven't even pulled away from the drive-thru and you're already digging in the McDonald's bag. Aw, <laughs> babe, just a few. <laughs> All right. I guess I can't blame you. Pass me some, too. <laughs> the smells too good to get it all the way home meal. There's a meal for every moment at McDonald's. And now your favorite spicy chicken McNuggets are back. Get a six-piece spicy or classic for just two bucks. Only at McDonald's. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Good afternoon. Would you like to try a free sample of our double fudge brownie? Oh, sure. Mmm, that's very good. I'll just take one more, just to be sure. Yep, still very good. Some things never change, like never being able to take just one free sample. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Mmm, is that macadamia nut I taste? Let me take one more. Sir, mmm. I thought so. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Okay, parachutes ready. Boy, the things I go through to get on all on rates as low as 0.99% APR for 60 months on new vehicles with PenFed. You are aware that you don't have to be a military member to save hundreds on your auto loan, aren't you? Anyone can join PenFed. As someone terrified of heights, I probably should have looked into that. Probably. Drop me off at the shore. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org autos or call 1-800-247-5626. Advertised rates available through the PenFed car buying service. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA.